Well, Sean, I'm back. Really enjoyed listening to you and Greg hug it out last week. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, jo- I'm joking. It was it was really uh, it was really enjoyable to listen to. I wish you could have been a part of that. Uh, as you can hear, I'm s- still kind of recovering from the, s- the sickness that's been going around here, but uh, it was really fun to actually get to listen to an episode for once. Yeah, it was good. That's I I'm learning to value friendships like that more. Uh, people that people that just sort of ask more questions uh of you i suppose so like he hit me with that one too where i I think i can't remember what exactly what i was talking about but i said something and he was like how did you make that feel or how did that make you feel and uh i said not much and he was like now why is that you know <laughs> it's <Let's laughs> un- like unpacking my backpack uh but uh yeah it was it was it was good and then this last weekend for jimmy's birthday we're doing the, I think it's called the six uh, pack peak challenge. Oh yeah. You mentioned this the other week. Yeah. 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 So we did the first hike over the weekend and it was pretty cool. It was Mount Um, as the locals call it, because I can't pronounce the real name, Mount Amunhum or something. Uh, but at the top, it was pretty cool because you could actually see San Francisco on the bay. And on, from the other side, you could see Santa Cruz and Monterey Bay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we had some good friends come on the on that hike with us, and uh, friend of the show, Chris and Nabil. I used to work with them at Octopus, and uh, Chris used to be my roommate, and Nabil was one of my good friends, and so it was cool to catch up. But we had some more uh, good sort of therapeutic uh, conversations along the hike, and ended up taking about three and a half hours. That's nice. That's good. Unplug a little bit, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it was great to get outside and see everything. And there was actually snow on the ground uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, so that was kind of cool too. That's wild. We have snow on the ground too, but it's not so crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, because uh, Greg, he um, he sent me a, a a picture the other day. He was about to go for a run, and it was like a slow, or it was a video. It was a slow mo video, and it was just. All you could see was snow. It was dumping snow. And I was like, no, I was like, no thanks. I'm done with that. That's all right. It keeps you warm. So I've got a little bit of follow-up uh, update from the MacBook Pro, which two weeks ago, as we were closing out the show, was slowly dying before my <laughs> eyes after running a Catalina update. Right. I think after we were done recording, we were sitting there trying to like troubleshoot it a bit, right? Yeah, we didn't didn't have any luck. I mean, the thing... It ran up the point of the point updates, and it just got stuck in a reboot loop. would not would not come back up. Uh, it was weird. I could I could log in, and the screen would die, but it would still show up on the network. So I could remotely like SSH in, and I could huh. access the remote disks and everything. Like it was running, but uh, no display, nothing, and no touch bar. Interesting. Yeah, it so was really strange. So did they just give you a new one? Yeah, so I went through the whole rigmarole. I I did a online chat support a couple times with people, and they had me try out the normal stuff, and and uh, I impressed them with my ability to find links faster than they could find links <laughs> on the Apple support website. Right. And uh, yeah, so I brought it to the Apple Store. We looked at it. I demonstrated the problem. I'm like, listen, I know I'm outside the return window. I know I missed the holiday return window by like a couple days. I need to get my work done. Can I just can I just return it and get a new one? And then she's like, "Let me talk to my manager." And uh, yeah, sure enough, filed the return, got a new one, walked out the door with it. And it's been it's been good. It's been yeah, it's been fine. Of course, I run that update. I'll, I'll wait a few more versions, but yeah, it's been fine. I've been really really enjoying it now that I had to get it set up again. Man, that thing screams. It's great. 
plus it plays Rocket League at like 60 frames <laughs> a second, which is the most important thing. So Right. I don't think I maybe I've played Diablo a little bit on my Mac, but I haven't really done much gaming on my on my Mac. It's not really something I'm gonna be doing, but I gotta say, like having it with you, maybe if you're traveling or whatever, and then just being able to Bluetooth pair the PlayStation controller right to the Mac and just have it. That's that's pretty awesome. That's a really awesome experience, honestly. Yeah, that is really cool. I actually uh last week moved my PC into the living room hooked up to the TV. And so I've been playing some games uh via a controller. And I like I I don't know, I kinda like it. Like I haven't I, I think I prefer playing games on a keyboard and mouse, especially if it's sort of like a competitive game, but being in the same office every day and then like having dinner and going back into the same chair and the same desk and playing a game doesn't feel relaxing <laughs> like it should. So yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. you need a little separation there. Yeah. yeah. That's why I ended up moving it out. But yeah, I mean the same thing. I just Bluetooth connect a controller to my PC and it works great. Uh, I also have a switch and uh, I ended up getting, I think it's called a bit do a bit do um, an adapter for that. So you can actually use like a dual shock or xbox controller on a switch you don't have to have the pro controller oh that's cool uh but even cooler is that it's sort of a universal thing so you take that adapter and and plug it into your computer and you could play dualshock xbox or you know switch pro controller on pc so it sort of has the global mappings for all the different controllers and you just plug it in and pair your controller to it and it just just works which is pretty nice that is pretty crazy we uh i just recently got the halo master collection i think it's called on pc with all, all my friends that we used to you know that i grew up with and we had land parties and stuff and so we've been playing through halo reach and stuff and of course you, like you're playing it on the pc for the first time but you have to play it with a controller like you can play with keyboard and mouse but it's not the same like, you can like as soon as you pick up the controller everything just makes so much more sense in terms of like how the game feels and mm-hmm. and just how you progress through the levels and stuff like I know keyboard and mouse is really my preferred input method, but man, some games when they're like designed for a controller, it's it's just a better experience. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I think there's probably a nostalgia factor for you there, right? Oh yeah, hardcore, hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Halo was one of my most played games of all time throughout. I mean, because the franchise was running when I was, you know, in high school. Uh, actually, even before that, like middle school through high school, so sort of like one of those seminal games that you grew up playing, and, and it sets the pace, I suppose, for your gaming habits down the road. I think that's why I was so excited about Destiny when that first came out because it it made it it made me feel like I was playing Halo for the first time all over again. Yeah, definitely. I think that Bungie definitely nailed. They have that nailed down that feeling. Yeah. What's What's also funny is now that I think about it. I'm remembering the first time I ever played it, and I was at my uncle's house, actually, so I must have been, I wasn't very old at all. I must have been like, and I don't remember what year Halo came out, but I was probably 12, 13, or 14, or something like that. And uh, I distinctly remember him panning the the camera down to the grass and him being like, look at the grass, it looks so realistic. And, (laughs) right, fast forward some years later, it does not (laughs) look realistic at all. But back then, it was was like mind-blowing. Yeah, what was mind-blowing for Halo for me was that uh, I'd only ever played it with my friend's multiplayer, right? Because, like, uh, I'd never done a co-op campaign with anyone because we didn't really have time to, like, sit down and go through it. So we just, like, hop on and, you know, do Blood Gulch or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And just, just mess around. The first time I played through the Halo campaign was when it came out on PC. And, like, I had no idea about 
uh, any of the enemies. Like, I didn't know about the flood. Oh, I didn't know man. about, like, the story. Like, I didn't know anything, right? And so, like, I'm playing in the dark, you know, in high school, like, at late at night with my headphones on, playing through the campaign, and, like, it freaked me the crap out. I man. hated, yeah, I hated the flood. It always, I would always get paranoid about it, because me and my brother would play the campaign all the time. And we would always put it on heroic mode, so it was really hard. And we would get to the flood, and unless you had a shotgun, it was game over. Oh, yeah. They're basically zombies, right? Basically, yeah. So it always made me made me paranoid. I've always been that way. Like if I watch a horror movie, I get paranoid about stuff. Uh, the last time I saw a horror movie was I was in Santa Cruz. Must have been maybe six or seven years ago when when the 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 Conjuring came out. That's what it was. I watched the Conjuring with my roommate at the time, and I had just moved to California. I had just moved into this big Victorian house, and there were only two of us because they had just kicked everyone out except for this other guy. And uh, that's sort of a long story. But it was me and him. We go and watch The Conjuring. We're freaked out. We go home, and we live on opposite ends of this big Victorian, like, old, creaky house. And I was paranoid for a week. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're up and running with the laptop. What do you like? How what's your working arrangement like now? Do you do you still use the iMac mainly, or what's what's going on with that? Yeah, so I haven't got the MacBook fully set up with my environment. I still got a few things left to do, but uh, so like if I get stuck, I have to just come down to the <laughs> to the to the desktop. Right. But uh, like I'll spend more time upstairs. Like I'm in the basement here. Uh, it's like a it's a raised ranch, so I've got little tiny windows, right? Like in the morning, it's really nice and sunny upstairs. Jess mm-hmm. just painted, finished painting, so like it's really bright, and uh, it's so it's just such a nicer environment. Get the morning sun, so I'll try to spend mornings up there, like going through emails and support tickets and like doing all that kind of stuff, and just in a, in a better environment, you know, I could bring it with me. And I've been thinking more and more about like maybe I'll just go. I mean, I live like 15 minutes from UConn, mm-hmm. uh, University of Connecticut. Like I'll just hang down there and just like go hang out in Starbucks or Student Union or like just somewhere just to get out of the house, you know, because, uh, and then I'll be able to like get real work done. Not that I couldn't do that before, but, uh, it's definitely a lot more feasible now. Yeah. It's a change of pace for me that, that, that helps me out. And that's exactly why, especially, uh, when I was in Vermont, I would have to just go somewhere. There wasn't a coffee shop for me to go to. So I'd go to the grocery store. They had like two tables put up and some Wi-Fi in there. So I would go there and work, but the change of scenery, the change of atmosphere really helps me be able to re- reset my mind, maybe. Um, I I can't do it as much now because Watson, uh, he's big. He's 70 pounds now. And so I can't just like go to the Starbucks and get a drink and sit outside because he would pull the table away. So I don't have as much leeway about that anymore. But the nice thing about this complex I'm in now, they have different picnic tables and stuff outside. So I think I could probably hook him up to one of those and be be safe if I'm sitting outside. But that morning sun is something I took for granted. Where our apartment is right now, we don't get the morning sun. And uh, I find that like if I don't go outside and, and sit outside for a minute, I just stay cold all day. And it really, yeah, having that bright environment uh, really sets the tone. Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to say, though, like, I really, I thought about like how it's it'd be so much nicer to just have a single computer. Not having to context switch, jump back and forth, keep all my source code in sync, keep all my tools and preferences and everything in sync. Man, it'd be nice to just be able to sit down with one computer, have it everywhere. But I think that for me, the advantages of having desktop just outweigh that. You know, having it 
always on, always there, always ready, always plugged in. Like, it's I don't I don't ever even sleep at my desktop because I you know it runs backblades all night and stuff, right? So I just I just had to turn the display off when I'm not here, and I can I know I can get up and walk away, come back down, and everything is exactly as I left it. I don't have to unplug anything. Uh, all my state is maintained now that I have a battery backup. <laughs> I don't even have to worry about that. So, man, it's it's really hard to you just can't get that kind of experience with a laptop. Uh, you know, because the instant you start unplugging things and different monitor sizes and windows moving and internet connect connectivity coming and going, it's like it's just not the same. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty happy with my setup now. I, I do like a desktop, but I just I just can't be in the I just can't be in the same room. I have to be able to move around a bit. And so I'm I'm taking more walks now, which is great. But there's like I said, there's something, you know, about like you said, going to a student union or going to a coffee shop or something for a little bit just just helps. But I'm pretty happy with my setup with my laptop now because I got that I ended up getting that CalDigit dock and everything is just one cord, uh, which was nice. It which is nice. So I come home I don't have I don't run dual displays or anything. When I have my laptop hooked up to my display, it's in clamshell mode. So I put my laptop on a stand and I plug one cord in and all my windows generally pop back to where they were. <laughs> generally. That's a thing though. Generally. I just have a keyboard shortcut. I use uh what's the app that I use? Oh, I use uh window uh better snap tool. Better snap tool is what I use. And um I generally run things like fifty fifty or like full screen. This CalDigit thing came pretty well reviewed on Wirecutter. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's one of their top picks. So, picked you picked well, I guess. It's been working well for you. Yeah, I haven't had any issues with it. Um, it has what, like sixteen ports or something like that. So, I had this kind of cobbled together system before. I had like two USB things together, and it was always really frustrating and. Uh, the power output of it was only 60 watts, so by my laptop, if I was doing lots of work, would slowly die. <laughs> uh, and with the CalDigit dock, it's constantly 85 watt output to my laptop. Like I said, 16 ports works works great. I haven't had any I haven't had any issues with it at all. That's great. It's such a different story from the early days of USB C and Thunderbolt, but uh, hopefully, it's getting better. And it costs an arm and a leg. You know, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's also the thing. Yeah, yeah, I can't. It was like, yeah, it was almost three hundred dollars or something like that. But I don't know. It works great. It, I haven't had any issues with it. I come home, I plug one cord into my computer. You know, I touch a key on my keyboard, and everything just works. Just knocked on my desk. If you didn't hear that, <laughs> was it wood? Yes, some kind of IKEA fiberboard. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think you could ever go to laptop only or? Or, uh, I mean, you like you just said, you had there's like a bunch of benefits that you like to having a desktop. But. Yeah, I mean, li- listen, I totally could. Like, uh, if push came to shove and I lost my office space for some reason or I just needed to be more mobile for whatever reason, yeah, 100%, I would get all my work done on my laptop. I mean, I wrote most of RHR on 11-inch MacBook Air on my couch. Like, <laughs> it's fine. You know, you, you don't you don't need... I Give me a give me a green or an amber terminal screen and, a, and an IBM Model M and, like, I can get my work done. It's not the end of the world, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, that's... A, I can't believe I used to work on a, a 12-inch MacBook. Uh, one of those... one of those, Not the Airs, just like just really thin MacBooks. I mean, like running Docker and everything on that thing. That that, that was wild, considering how 
like the the tools used now and how much they make things chug. I hate the MacBook keyboards, though. I would I can't believe I even use though those. This is uh, Jamie's mom has one, and I have to fix it occasionally for. Her. And it's it's garbage. When I type on it, it's like I don't know. It's garbage. I don't I don't like it. Yeah, I definitely definitely misstep. Yeah, but it's funny. Like you. You mentioned that like you sat on the couch and you wrote most of our HR like on a, you know, a small computer screen and, and all that stuff. I might be I might be exaggerating a little bit. But that's what it felt like. Right. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, but that's something I've been thinking a lot about, too, is just the idea of how much time I spend having getting things just right so I can feel productive, which it's 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 sort of like um, you try not to jinx yourself. Right. Like you need all of your windows to be in the, where, they're, where they're supposed to be. You need like the pen over here, the pad, notepad has to be here. Your desk has to be this tall. Like you have to have all things just right. And then you can get some work done, right? It's like you're trying to fall asleep and you're like, come on, sleep. I really need to sleep now. Let's sleep. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and in reality, like that's one thing I've been talking to Greg a lot. Uh, and he's just going to, he's just going to be a recurring theme in the show. I'm sorry. Uh, but about focus and productivity. And we talked a little bit about focus last week and he talked, you know, his keystone habits and things like that. But, uh, I, I've just been realizing more and more like, Hey, you should take a break now instead of try to fight through this feeling of not feeling productive. You should do something else for a minute, reset your mind and then come back. Uh, and a case in point today was I'm trying to get back into this, uh, this vendor, uh, project that I've had going on in DK. And so that way I can kind of get it over the finish line. I've been having other things on my on my to-do list since beginning of the year, but now I'm getting back to it. And it was really difficult. I was having trouble focusing. I was feeling tired. So um, Greg had just had texted me and I was like, yeah, I'm really struggling today. And he was like, maybe you should go for a run. And then I was like, oh, I'm really tired. So I might go take a nap. So I did. I laid down for half an hour, got up and was totally reset, refreshed in the right mindset and knocked out a bunch of work. When otherwise, I probably would have just sat in front of my computer and, and like, oh, my audio interface needs to move over here. I would have found stuff to distract myself with. Sure, sure, sure. Of course, you have to walk that fine line between like taking a 30-minute nap and waking up two and a half hours later with drool coming out the side of your mouth and not knowing what day it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, set a, I set an alarm and then Watson came in and joined me. And then I, what's funny is I got up. Uh, he followed me into the office, looked at, like, gave me a disgusted look, and then went back and put himself back in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and then came out like an hour later or something. But yeah, exactly, right? Like, find that, you have to find that line uh, of obviously you need to make sure, like, you know, you're not taking three hour naps every afternoon. I mean, maybe that, that might work if you're making your time up, but it just, I guess, the idea of like, not being stubborn and, and fighting through the feeling of not feeling productive or not able to focus. Like, yeah. And it's so funny because every time you do that, every time you sort of take that break and you come back to it and you like, it's, it's so dumb because, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, sleeping on it, right. You, you, you're, you're not thinking about the problem. You come back to it and you instantly solve it. Like, Oh, why didn't I think of that before? Mm-hmm. Whatever. It just so consistently happens way more often than it should <laughs> than you expect it to work and you're like no nah, i won't work this time i won't work this time it's probably gonna work yeah yeah exactly or or i guess like sometimes in the past what i've done is taken my ipad and i can't write code on it <laughs> you know and i mentioned um i need to get back to my morning routine i've been slacking a bit since moving but 
uh, starting the day out with my iPad where I can't get stuck in writing code. It forces me into planning and research mode. Um, that would be, that'd be really helpful too. But yeah, just learning to not be stubborn and learning, it's just more learning about myself, right? Like learning what triggers, um, I can look at this to leverage in terms of like, okay, now I need a break. Now I'm fine. Now I need to actually, I mean, there's obviously cases where you just need to be more disciplined, you know, maybe taking a nap won't actually do anything. Maybe you just need to, to, um, be more disciplined. Uh, but finding those, finding those lines, I suppose. Yeah. It's interesting for me personally. I also have to find that like, if I'm still at the computer wasting time, my brain's still really engaged. For example, if I'm just scrolling through Facebook or Reddit or whatever, it's still like, I'm still consuming content. I'm still thinking critically. I'm still you know, my brain is still kind of going forward and stepping away from that, you know, going, uh, do something mindless, go do laundry or do some dishes or clean up the house a little bit or, you know, something like that, that like needs to get done anyways. Might as well take a little break and and take care of that kind of stuff or take a nap if you need to. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something take, I've been taking Watson for a lot of walks too. So he goes outside three or four times a day. Uh, that that's helpful too. Just getting my mind into thinking mode, I suppose, in a less less staring at the problem I've been struggling with mode is is really helpful. But I mean, on the, on the flip side of that, it's it's been fun. Uh, I mentioned trying to enjoy programming again and trying to just explore more languages and ecosystems and things like that. And one thing I wanted to do last year, and I never really got the chance to, was contribute to the IntelliJ Elixir plugin. I thought to myself, why don't I just try that again? There are some things that I want to implement, some issues in there. I've actually talked to Luke about a couple of them in in, in real life at the last Elixir conference that I went to. And, uh, you know, he encouraged me. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll give you pointers and help, but it just seems so intimidating, the JetBrains API and uh, just having to learn Java or Kotlin, you know. Uh, but yeah, over the weekend, I actually submitted a, a PR and started taking notes. So like last week, I started taking notes and and uh, that snowballed into understanding enough to actually make a PR to help the plugin out a little bit. And that felt really good. And so now I'm sitting here thinking like during the day, I'm like, Oh, I wish I could just work on that, you know, uh, which feels nice. So you've really been liking this IntelliJ thing and keep pushing it on me and I keep pushing back. I should probably give it a shot. I, I find myself going the other direction still. Like the other day I had to work on something and like if yes code just wasn't cutting it, I had to just open sublime and, and dig into my code there because I, I guess I had my, it was an older project and I had the project set up in in Sublime. I hadn't yet like brought it over to code yet. Sure. And uh I just needed to get work done, so I just fired up Sublime. And you know what? I felt really happy there <laughs> and comfortable. I know VS Code is some great tools. You look at LS plugin is awesome. It really does make the experience better, but man, I'm I'm still my brain's still in, in Sublime mode. I, I just I think I've spent too much time there. For, to break those habits, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you should say you just spent too much time, as in like an old dog can't learn new tricks. It's just, yeah, it just it just becomes more difficult, right? It becomes a barrier. You have to, yeah, it becomes a barrier, but also you have to really want to switch away. Uh, so what happened with me and what set me on my Jeprin's journey, <laughs> I could say, uh, is Greg 
uh, was talking to me about it. I can't remember why that came up, but he challenged me to, he just challenged me to use it for, uh, for 30 days, uh, without switching away because obviously I'm very notorious. Uh, if you followed the show for a while, uh, for switching my editors, like jumping between editors. And so he's like, yeah, you should just give it a, like a real shot and, and really kick the tires. So I did, I used it for 30 days. And after 30 days, I tried switching back to other stuff and I didn't feel as comfortable, which I think maybe says a lot about the ergonomics. I mean, JetBrains, they always say like, oh, we're the ergonomic IDE, right? That's one of the terminologies they use for sales. But uh, in my experience, it really is nice to use. Uh, and, and granted, and this is something I always tell people when they ask me about it or like, should I try it? I always say like, you're going to have to bend your will to JetBrains' setup sometimes, but if you're okay with that, you can become really efficient with it because uh, the the interfaces or how you use the applications are exactly the same across the entire suite of applications, which is really nice. So all the keyboard shortcuts do the same things and all the apps, um, all of the settings panels worked exactly the same way. Um, all of the you know, uh, power, power user type features work exactly the same way. Uh, so it's like, once you learn one, you learn everything you can know, you know how to use the entire, their entire ecosystem. And so, I mean, mainly what I use is IntelliJ, uh, and, and data grip. So I use data grip for production database things and I use IntelliJ for development database things, but I don't know. It's just nice that everything is, it's like, I, maybe I can say this is like really consistent. And that was one thing that I always struggled with with VS code is that, there's been there have been at least several variations of like setting UIs, for example, or uh, settings def- like default settings changing, and and you add a plugin, and then it starts like auto running all these things. Uh, and and maybe what made me most comfortable with the JetBrains stuff uh, up front was that it was at the very least consistent in how it approached things. Yeah, I could see how that could be a very big benefit. And you mentioned this the other day. We were talking, you're like, oh, yeah, JetBrains never runs anything under the hood for me. Like, it's always, it's explicit in the way it it does things. It only has one way to do things, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the things I, w- I read in the forums that their philosophy was to, if you, if something runs, a formatter, a linter, and some sort of action runs, it should be at the developer's will. It shouldn't be something that's always running in the background. And that was something that always got me with VS Code, especially with uh, ESLint and Prettier, for example. People have actual NPM packages to configure your stuff for you to make VS Code's auto formatting work properly, so they don't fight. I still, it still doesn't work f- properly for me because I'll go on one computer and hit, you know, Command S to save, and it formats it one way, and then I go to my MacBook and it formats it another way. It's the same project. I don't know what I'm doing. Wrong. I don't even know what config file it's using. I can I can never figure it out. But that was one thing that I liked about the the JetBrains stuff, and one thing that I disliked about the VS Code stuff. And I think it's getting better. Like now, you can actually set like default formatters and stuff. And I think it pops up now and asks you which formatter you want they want you they want you to use. But um, the JetBrains stuff, it won't run anything unless you tell it to. I mean, I mean, I do automate some things. So there's a feature called uh, I actually have. Uh, IntelliJ open right here. Let me look. There's a feature called file watchers. And, and so with file watchers, you could actually uh, create uh, different 
tasks that run when a, a certain condition is met. So you can actually say like, when I save any sort of JavaScript file, run um, ESLint or something, ESLint format. If I save a JavaScript file, run prettier. If I save a JavaScript file, run ESLint linter. Uh, so with Elixir, uh, when I save an Elixir file or an Elixir script file, I have it run mixed format, and it also runs mixed credo. And if credo has anything to say about the file that I'm that I'm working with, it opens a panel on the side uh, with credo's output. So that's that's what I have running, but I know exactly what's running because I made it do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that's really cool. I like that setup better than a bunch of JSON files that have been flattened together somewhere. And you don't really know what's taking precedence over what. Yeah, yeah, that's that was always a struggle for me too. Because with with DK, we have a VS Code repo that configures the base workspace, but then there's like folder level settings and also you know user settings. And so I can't remember which order, like which ones take precedence. I think it's workspace overrides. I think it's folder overrides workspace overrides user settings. But even then, it's difficult because you have to hop around and like, trying to figure out and there's no real easy way to debug what's happening and when uh and that was always frustrating to me but i don't know again like with JetBrains, like you have to get used to their settings uh one nice thing is that basically anywhere if you're just like focusing on a panel like the file explorer or the outline view or the settings panel you can just start typing and it starts filtering so anywhere any panel in the JetBrains ui you can just start typing you know it'll, it'll start like smart searching for you which is nice but you still have to sort of you know learn how the base of their stuff works and like once you're once you get around that and once you're okay with that uh it's it's great i think i mentioned this earlier on another sh- episode but i when i originally came to mac from Windows, one of my big hangups was losing VS uh, Visual Studio.net. Uh, that's such a good, powerful, well integrated IDE. And I felt lost without that tool, without <laughs> that, 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 you know, backpack of like things that I could just dig into and, and pull out exactly what I needed. Uh-huh. You know, clicking around the .NET framework, hitting dot and, and having every single possible thing autocomplete for you. That's how I learned the .NET framework. It wasn't through documentation. It was through pressing dot and scrolling around and seeing what was in there. Yeah, exactly. And now, I, then I learned to just Google things, right? Like, just, just all the documentation for all this open source stuff is online. And, you know, you could use Dash or whatever, but it's still just the same thing. It's just web pages, just static documentation. And honestly, it's kind of a step backwards. <laughs> you know, I've gotten used to it now. That's how I operate. But it's really... It's really a step backwards. I mean, even even Xcode these days is not as good as it used to be because uh, I think a lot of times they just kick you out to a browser for the documentation. I mean, there's some stuff integrated, but if you want to go in depth, you have to basically just look at a web page, and uh, that's not. Uh, yeah, it's it it does feel like a step backwards again. Although it's fine, but it's uh, it's not. It's not tightly integrated. Yeah, and that's actually one thing I'm working on. I want to contribute to the IntelliJ Elixir plugin. So, in the JetBrains apps, if you're if you're focused on any any I don't know, let's say if you're in the Elixir 
if you're focused on a function, you hit F1, it would bring up a panel or a popover. It's sort of like VS Code. If you hover a function, it gives you the documentation. Uh, so if you're like in CSS, you hit F1, it it pops open the MDM docs. Or if you're in JavaScript, you hit F1 on a function. It, pop, it pops the MDM docs into the editor. And then at the bottom, there might be a link to the full web page or something like that. So um, that's been really useful for me if I'm trying to remember like, oh, what are the what are, what functions do this take? If you if if JetBrains isn't able to give you parameter hints, you can hit F1 and you can actually see just the documentation right there, which is pretty cool. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do uh, with the Elixir plugin because right now the Quick Doc uh, isn't implemented at all. And so when you hit F1, it just says no documentation available. So uh, what I'm doing right now, I actually have a, 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 what's it called? A work in progress PR, a draft PR. I have a draft PR open where I'm trying to implement uh, specifically the <laughs> the JetBrain. Like I was looking at the JetBrain stuff and somewhere in their docs, they said they had over a thousand extension points in the JetBrain's platform. is insane. That's it? That's it, yeah. But specifically... Uh, you have to implement the documentation provider interface uh, for your plugin. And so that's what I'm working on now. And so what I'm doing is when you push F1, it runs uh, the method uh, generate Docker get quick navigation info, depending on what your setting is. Uh, and what I need to do now is like navigate. So when you're looking at a uh, an editor in in uh, a JetBrains app, it's basically a tree of what they call PSI elements. And so I need to navigate the PSI elements. So if I'm at a function call, I need to navigate up, look for the closest uh, doc module or function uh, doc attribute, and then get the contents of that, render it into Markdown, and then render that into the panel. Uh, so <laughs> It sounds like game development at this point. Like There's so many layers of abstraction, and, and you described attributes. It's like you sound like you're working with game objects here in, in Unity. It's kind of not probably not far off. It's so different than what I'm used to. It's it's kind of fun for me. So at first, like I said, I was super intimidated, and and I'm really happy that um, I decided to stick it out. Uh, and and another thing I'll mention too is I've been taking notes in Notion, uh, and I'm I'm making the the. I don't know what to call it, workspace, public. So I'm, I'll put the link in the show notes so anyone can see this. But I have a Notion doc that has a bunch of subpages and uh, each subpage is just a language. So I have one for Elixir, Java, Go, C Sharp, Node.js. Um, and each, I'd pay, each page, I just have resources that I found, articles or notes that I've been taking about that specific language. So if you were to click into the Go one, I have... Uh, resources and tool list. I have package list, um, some syntax notes and things like that. So that's all open, but I also have one for IntelliJ Elixir. And so, uh, it's like an onion, right? So I start unpeeling the layers. And so I learned that, Oh, PSI is a thing I need to know about. So then I, you know, take notes on what a PSI is and find the documentation and put all that in one spot. It's like an onion. Cause it makes you cry when you start cracking into it. Yeah, exactly. You cry a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's going to be sweet after you cook it for a while, let it stew for a while. How's that for a metaphor? Mm, caramelized onions. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so I'm really so one thing I didn't anticipate was how much this project <clears throat> would help me learn about tackling large unknown problems and chopping them up into smaller problems. Like obviously I know how to do that because I'm making an app and that's what I have to do every day. 
but I feel like once you, and this is this is sort of a new experience for me because when the the show first started, the longest I'd ever worked on one project was was for six months, and at this point now I've been working for Design Collective, I've been working on Design Collective for three years, and uh, this interesting thing happened where uh, before I was really comfortable in tackling unknown unknown problem sets and breaking them down. And fast forward to today, I'm comfortable with that, but within DK's realm, because that's what I've been doing for three years. So when I started to jumping back into uh, trying to work on IntelliJ Elixir, it felt so foreign because I was like, I literally have to start from scratch ground zero here. I don't know anything about Java. I don't know anything about the JetBrains API at all. I have to start from from zero. And in the past three years, I haven't really done that, if that makes sense. Yeah, in order to get over that initial resistance to learning all these new things, you have to really want it. You know, you have to have a really a really clear end goal in mind and and have it be worth it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I I'm glad for the refreshed experience there. You know, so like taking the big project, chopping it apart, taking notes along the way. And I think that was one thing I remembered and what spurred me to create that notion where I just started leaving breadcrumb trails for myself was talking to actually you and Luke about that like how do you break a problem down how do you learn because you know i had just watched luke give this wild presentation on lumen uh which was like way over everyone's head at nine o'clock in the morning it was a bit much uh and i was like how it was yeah it was pretty heavy and i was like how how you know and both you and luke just sat there and luke's like yeah like if you're trying to figure it out get a piece of paper and a pencil and just write down the call stack you know just like leave yourself a trail of how you got to where you're at and it seems so obvious, uh, but I guess like when you're staring at a big problem, it's difficult to see obvious stuff, right? But um, yeah, I don't know. Sort of like you said, you kind of have to really want it. And I'm fine that it's like, I'm feeling really good. It's it's making me enjoy that hard work. It's making me enjoy the research, which is something I hadn't had much of last year uh, working with DK. So um, it's hopefully, I think, like, I think so far the plan is working. <laughs> You know, like make it fun and enjoyable again. Well, the thing is, the thing about taking notes is that even if you don't read them ever again, that's totally fine. Like the fact of the act of compiling them and and putting them down on paper. I find physically writing things cements things better than typing things. But that's just again, just a personal thing. Sure. But just the just the the act of compiling all the information in and condensing it down into notes is itself valuable. Again, even if you never look at the notes again, I mean, how, what do you do at the end of the semester with all your, you know, notebooks, you just throw them out or burn them. Lots of people have like, like burning parties, <laughs> burn their stuff at the end of the semester. Right. Like right. it, uh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. If it's disposable, it's, it's, it's for your own personal use. Anyways, it's nice to look back at and have, have the history of like, look at it and, and realize how you were thinking at that time and see how you've grown and learned and, oh, I was doing it this way. That's stupid. But that's just part of the process. I, I think that's I think that's totally good. I I uh, had to do a similar thing this week where uh, I was trying to add a new station to the Remote Ham Radio Network. And it's a very big, brand new, complicated station with three towers uh, a dozen antennas, dozens of pieces of equipment, right? And it's all, and the only thing I had to go on was a couple of text documents in Basecamp. And I'm like, this is not, I can't, 
I cannot parse this. This does not make any sense to me. So I got on a phone call with Lee. I fired up OmniGraffle, mm. shared my screen, and I said, okay, Lee, we're going through this line by line, and I'm graphing this out. And that took some time. It was a little tedious. I had a lot of questions. But by the end of it, I had a plan, and then the next day I was able to bang it out. Like, take this, take this plan, this, this graph that I had made, and work with the station owner directly. And I was able to talk on the same level as him because I, like, I, knew, I knew where everything was. I knew what things were called. I knew how things were laid out. And we were able to you know, communicate and able to, to get things done. So we had the station on the air in basically a day. Uh, and that was with adding two huge new features like that we didn't even have before. So like that was that was very very powerful for me. And again, the the station is going to change. These notes will become out of date eventually, but they they accomplished the job. Yeah, that's great. I remember you showed me the chart, and and it looks I like this chart. I would almost frame this and put it on my wall. I was so proud of it. I'll, you know, I could put this in the show notes. Maybe I will. I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> Already did it. But yeah, that's that's great. Uh, I'm trying to remember more and more that the work isn't always writing code. Uh, I, I I feel like at the end of the day, if I haven't written a bunch of code or if I haven't like changed a bunch of code or shipped a feature that I felt like I didn't get enough work done, which is dumb. Uh, because in fact, most of the work is probably research writing and thinking and the code is the least amount of work, or I think it should be that way anyway, uh, because I've definitely got myself in trouble. Or I coded myself into corners because I didn't do enough reading, writing, and research. Um, so, yeah, that that just serves as a good reminder for me this week, especially just to think about that the the code isn't the work. The right, the typing in a text editor is not the work. The work is thinking and and documenting and and planning. And and once you've done that, is when you should be doing the programming but programming isn't the only tangible right it's so hard because we're programmers we want to write code man just let us write code just give us a spec and we'll we'll complete it it's fine never that easy it's never that easy right it would be nice but but yeah i mean through the journey like i'm learning java half of the intellij elixir plugin is in java half it's in kotlin so that's fun um but i'm learning both i'm taking notes on both and i'm learning more it's just making me a more well-rounded programmer i'm learning about interfaces learning more about um classical like programming you know it's just adding more tools to my toolbox i suppose next thing i know you're going to be rewriting dk and java server pages no (laughs) no i like elixir a lot like the more that i poke around other languages the more i realize like elixir is really nice (laughs) <laughs> turns out turns out the syntax is great the the ergonomics like using it is great uh i i just really like it the functional paradigm is really nice um if anything like diving deeper into these other languages uh like java you know it's it's about as object oriented as you can get right and in learning about interfaces and composition there uh, actually helps me connect connect the dots more about Elixir. I'm like, oh, okay, well, the behaviors and and protocols make way more sense now. Not that it didn't make sense before, but it's like solidify. I feel like it's filling more cracks in my foundation. It's like filling those up, plastering them over, I think, uh, which feels really good. Um, but also, uh, if it's like all sort of going to the greater 
picture, if that makes sense, right? So like looking at Go and looking at Java and comparing and con- contrasting them, I really like how Go does um, Go does competi- composition over inheritance. So you have a struct, but instead of having structs inheriting from structs or classes from classes, you have uh, small interfaces of behavior that you sort of put into your structs. I like that composition style of building things, right? So it's it's allowing me to make my own opinions or form my own opinions on this stuff as opposed to like reading and having an opinion because I read it from somewhere else. You have to be careful because composition in like a pure object-oriented sense is actually pretty different than that. But I know what you're saying. <laughs> like everything, the, all these terms are overloaded for all the different languages and they all mean different things and the same thing at the same time. But especially with Go, because Go is not like a true object-oriented language. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of overloading in these. Go is not a real language. You heard it here first. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, there is there's definitely and that's maybe what part part of like makes it confusing and hard, especially for new people to grasp, is like, well, I learned what composition means here and now over here it means something totally different, or it, the same rules don't apply, you know? You know, I gotta say, I I was doing some work for for glance.net uh this week, doing the work on the DevOps stuff stuff again. And uh, I wrote this little Rails application that sort of coordinates things. You know, it, it, it deals, all the servers kind of check into it. It does some, some deals with some load balancer stuff, talks to AWS API, talks to the servers, has a little database to keep track of the state of everything, has a little web interface, whatever. But it's a pain in the butt to deploy. I used like, because <laughs> we wanted to go all out on AWS, so we're like Elastic Beanstalk. Then he got to get an RDS instance on Postgres and like all this crap. And it's like, uh, I don't feel great handing that over. Like that's, it's, it's just a whole other thing. And I'm like, man, wouldn't it be nice? If it was just a little server process sitting on some stupid server that I could just launch single executable and it would just open it up and it would just do the right thing. You could do that with Go. You could you know, do that you with Go. Need, you don't need the whole, the whole world to, you know, build the whole world just so you can have a stupid Rails application. I mean, I think that's what Go was primarily intended for anyway, was tooling like that, that you could just drop a binary somewhere and have it do its thing. What about look to releases? Well, I mean, yeah, there's there's a million other tools I could use for the job. Like, to, to, if that's my requirement, uh, you know, there's endless sure. things you could do. But I, I, I did want to pick something that was could be supported by other people if I no longer was working on that project. Yeah, yeah, that makes and sense. And Elixir did not fit the bill for that. <laughs> that makes sense. Rails, whatever. Rails developers are a dime a dozen. I wouldn't know. I forgot I forgot every, everything I knew about Rails a long time ago. Well, if anyone has any experience with the JetBrains platform, please help me. <laughs> or is interested in <laughs> contributing, to, contributing to the IntelliJ Elixir plugin. Uh, I would love to just work with some more people. I think it's mostly, I mean, there's been some PRs, but it's mostly been Luke shouldering the work, and I would love to help out. And I have lots of ideas for things that I would love to implement. One being, I don't know if this is possible, but it would be awesome to have a struct or schema autocomplete based off of a, a struct type or the fields in a struct or maybe even like an ecto schema. It'd be cool to have autocomplete or anything, something like that happening. Um, I actually, I have, I have a list of features I want to add, but if anyone's interested in helping out or learning or getting their feet wet with that, let me know because I'd be happy to work together with somebody on trying to put this stuff together. I'd help you, but I just not quite motivated enough <laughs> it's flash don't have quite enough time it's fine but it's all good i wish you luck i'm i'm morally supporting you 
morally supporting you. If I get enough features, will you try it? Will you will you try the the thirty day JetBrains challenge? I will think about it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tempt you with my wares. I installed by, it. Does that, uh, does that count? I'm tempting you with my features, my Elixir features. I guess I didn't install it on this computer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Lo- love to hear more feedback on that. Ideas, uh, anything like that? Just, just let us, let me know. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at DNCCast. Sean, the Java Master, Sean Washbot. <laughs> right. Are you drinking enough coffee? It's. I mean, at this point, at this point, I'm looking at skeleton abstract classes and pasting them. <laughs> and then feeling out functions so your javascript kitty i like it right right and i am on twitter at shruckwell uh show notes will be available at dnc.show everything we talked about today all the links rockwell's beautiful chart uh my notion uh, my public notion documents it'll, it'll all be in the show notes at dnc.show the whole reason i had this podcast was just so i could show you that chart because otherwise no one else would see it no one to see my my beautiful work you've been playing the long game if you want to see that chart spectrum.chat is where it will be posted you know discussions real-time chat come say hi show notes all that good stuff you can talk with rockwell the chartographer chartographer i like that put that on my business card (laughs) put it on your cv rockwell schrock chartographer in chief (laughs) 2020 dash right uh and as always thanks to spec for having us and putting us out there and if you're into other design and development related shows, you should head over to spec.fm and check it out. We've got shows like uh, Fragmented and Swift Unwrapped and uh, yeah, just some, some good stuff over there. So head on over to spec.fm and check it out. Well, Sean, I hope you have an abstract, static, caused public void weekend. What? You mean a, you mean a, a public uh, public class properties document provider uh extends week i don't know that fell apart i felt I, I dropped the ball there you could have kept going and i would have i would have said that was fine I had no <laughs> idea. an override nullable uh public weekend I don't, I don't know well i'll let you go get some rest i'm gonna go eat some tacos oh man I'm jealous eat a taco for me okay see you later all right see you Once he gets all the bitches. (laughs) Yeah, in that case, literally...